Deception has always intrigued me. Understanding what drives people to deceive, how humans engage in deceit, and how it unravels, propelled me into the police force at 19. 12 months later, I began training and working as a detective. I shared interview rooms with the underbelly of society, uncovering how criminals use deceit to commit crimes and investigating their unrelenting attempts to lie and deceive. At 23, I plunged deeper into the murky world of deception, moving into organised crime investigations. I worked alongside some of Australia's top detectives and true crime-fighting legends. I learned that deception wasn't only about lying. Instead, it's a pattern of behaviour where people mix lies with omissions and distortions of truth to get their way. After a decade as a detective, I stepped into the corporate world, turning my attention to how people use deception inside corporations. Over the next 10 years, I'd spend many months on mine sites, production facilities, and in factories across West Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Here I saw firsthand demands from corrupt government officials and the bribes individuals in some organisations were prepared to pay to secure an unfair advantage. Back home, I turned my attention to employees colluding with suppliers, manipulating financial records, and abusing their positions. I've worked with some of Australia's largest companies as they tackled head-on multi-million dollar frauds. Time and time again, I've watched the most trusted employees, who were well-liked and respected, take advantage of their position to deceive and steal. In this series, we turn the forensic lens on deception and hear from people who are on the front line, detectives, lawyers, psychologists, and the corporate regulators. We'll explore their stories from decades of detecting and preventing deception. Welcome to KPMG's Forensic Lens, detecting lies, deception and fraud in the world of business. I'm Dean Mitchell. Deceit is a common bedfellow of crime. Wherever we find crime, we find deceit. And corporate crime is no different. But what is it that drives people to mix lies with omissions and distortions of truth to achieve their ends? Are humans born to deceive? Do they learn to deceive? Or do they have deceit thrust upon them? Today we go inside the human mind to demystify deception. I'm joined by forensic psychologist Oscar Williams. Oscar has spent his life working with those who commit crime, both inside prisons and now in private practice. Oscar, what you do sounds fascinating and something we see on TV, but how would you describe what you do as a forensic psychologist? I suppose forensic psychology is just the application of psych theory, but within a criminal justice kind of space. So I suppose forensic psychs, you see them working for SAPOL, corrections, things like the courts. And what we try to do is look at assessing, treating and providing expert evidence on usually criminal matters or matters related to mental incompetence. So it's the same as normal psychology, except we apply all of those principles within a forensic setting. So what does a day look like for you? Usually, most forensic psychologists will do a bit of a mixture of assessment and treatment. So, for example, when I used to work in correctional services, it would be assessing the risk of sexual offenders or violent offenders or terrorist offenders. So, sometimes that was for court purposes, but a lot of the times it was for selecting participants for groups. And then in the afternoon, you might run a sex offender program or you might run a violent offender program. We also dealt a lot with attorney generals, so looking at providing expert evidence 
around whether someone should be kept indefinitely detained. So things like that. It's pretty busy, but very, very fascinating work because I guess you get to learn things that most other people don't get to learn about and get some very interesting stories. You've been a forensic psychologist for a number of years now. You must have met some of those interesting people that you've sat opposite for months and months. Is there anything you've learned from those people? I've learned that some people are very, very good at lying. So there have been a lot of cases when I was one of the managers at a remand centre where you'd get offenders who say, for these reasons, I need to be moved to a different part of the prison. So a lot of the times it's interesting to kind of hear what they say and then go back and have a look at the data that we have on this prisoner in particular. Because a lot of the times, you know, for them, it's about getting cushier cells or a better environment. So it's interesting to see how a lot of prisoners think they can deceive, I suppose, a psychologist or someone who works there, but also observing how prisoners interact with staff and try to split staff against one another. So they'll ask a prison officer to get them a specific phone call because there's an emergency, that prison officer says no, and then all of a sudden you kind of watch them going to a different prison officer and using kind of a bit of a different approach. So I suppose that's the most interesting thing, just watching these guys day to day, you know, on a unit where you're not necessarily sitting in front of them doing an assessment, but just kind of watching how they all meld and interact and kind of seeing this alpha male dominance stuff come through, watching people steal other people's food and that kind of stuff. I think that's probably the most fascinating part of the work that I've done is just observing these guys in, I suppose, a hot pot environment where they don't get to go out and go and see their families. They're all kind of mixed in together. And how did you end up doing it? Did you wake up one day and I want to be a forensic psychologist? What was going through your head? I went into psychology initially and had no idea what I wanted to do. So a lot of people were talking about, you know, I want to be a child psych or I want to be a clinical psych. And to be fair, when I started uni, I wasn't even quite sure what psychology really was about. And then in third year, we had an elective and I did forensic psychology and got really, really interested in it. Because I suppose, again, it's kind of understanding some of the most awful behavior that we get to see, you know, people engaging in violence, people engaging in fraudulent activity. So I think when I saw that kind of research and started learning about it, it just lit a fire. Almost in all crimes, there's an element of deceit. Why do people lie? I suppose if we're thinking about deceit, it's probably useful just to kind of define what it is, right? So deceit usually is kind of wanting to encourage people in believing something that isn't true. But there's kind of two types of deceit, right? There's the deceit of just telling a lie, but there's also the deceit of omitting information. So purposefully choosing not to share something. So a lot of the times people will tell big lies. So things like, no, babe, you know, I've stopped drinking or I haven't been going out and getting high with my mates or things around cheating. But then most of us will tell little lies, things like this outfit looks great, or yes, I've almost finished that report that's due this afternoon. So there's these kind of three areas of deceit where you've got positive impression management, which is, you know, I'm going to present myself in a more favorable light. And we tend to see that in job interviews, right? When you interview someone, they're not going to be telling you they're pretty lazy at work and they take a lot of smokers. They're going to tell you they're amazing. But then you also have negative impression management where people will make themselves out to be more problematic. And I suppose we see this in kind of work cover cases, you know, when people are trying to fraudulently get some money out of work cover. So they'll say, yes, you know, I can barely walk, I can't get out of my bed. But then we've also got this really interesting group of people where it's called self-deception. So it's kind of like lying to yourself. And these are the people that come across as really grandiose and they kind of know it all. And you might ask them questions about things you know they know nothing about, but they'll present in a way that makes them look like they know everything. And so people tend to lie for three reasons, right? It's one, to get what I want. So it's kind of that instrumental deception. 
there's also the protecting myself or promoting myself. And I suppose the best example of that is, you know, for people that have kids, kids will often want to protect themselves, right? So avoid punishment. So it's like, no, no, mum, I didn't draw on the wall and they're holding the crayon. Or, you know, no, I didn't pinch my sister, even though the sister's crying, there's no one else there. And then we've got that really, really awful group of people who engage in deceitful behavior or lie just to harm others. And that's the stuff, you know, I know we'll be talking about in a different podcast, but it's those kind of psychopaths, the Machiavellianism where people have a personality trait that's about manipulating others and getting excited about being able to do that and seeing it as a game. So some people are just prone to manipulate others, are they? Yeah, so some people, especially when it comes to kind of those personalities like psychopathy, they don't know any different, right? They kind of enjoy lying. They want to lie. It makes them feel more powerful. It gives them control. It gives them the things that they want. Because if you think about lying in general, it's always based around context, right? If you're in a high demand situation, so your boss is coming to your office going, hey, this report was due yesterday. Where is it? When you feel that pressure, you're likely to lie, right? You're likely to go, oh, you know, yes, it's almost done. I'm just waiting for the printer or you might blame someone else. These people that are more likely to kind of engage in that higher level lying, it is about manipulation and high level manipulation, usually with quite a lot of planning. I guess we've talked there about the people doing the deceiving, but what about the people on the other side, the people hearing the deceiver? Are some people just more prone to be deceived than others? Yeah, so if you think about society, right, we kind of believe that society is based on this idea of truth, right? We believe other people are going to be truthful, and that helps us to have this kind of shared view of reality. So our default assumption is always that people are not likely to be deceiving us. They're likely to be telling us the truth. The research really does show that actually all of us are pretty terrible at picking up deception or detecting deception, but there are people that are more vulnerable. And I suppose these are the people that tend to get targeted when we're talking about kind of higher level deception. So these are the people that might have some things going in their lives or they feel vulnerable or they feel like they're not particularly liked. They're much easier to manipulate because you can tell them a few things that will make them feel good about themselves and then they'll kind of believe that lie. And you sometimes see this kind of in relationships, but you also see this in the workplace with certain people blowing a lot of smoke or trying to maneuver themselves in the organization around people that might have access to some power or some knowledge that you want to seek. And I know you've done a lot of court work and assessment of criminals over the years. Obviously, they've got a a real desire and drive to deceive you to get a, a positive outcome. How do you deal with it on the other side? We have to realize that every criminal is going to engage in some deceit. It's exactly what you just said, right? They're kind of in this win-win situation. They know that if they lie to the court, they might get a shorter sentence or a different penalty, but they also know that if they get caught in a lie, they're just going to get what they thought they were going to get initially anyway. So there's a high driver to engage in in deceitful conduct. I suppose for us as psychologists, we're lucky because we can use some psych testing. There's a couple of psych assessments that I utilize every time which detect deception. So they detect that positive impression management negative impression management and self-deception. So oftentimes when they fill out this paperwork, I can already tell whether this person is likely to be trying to deceive me, but it always comes back to what other information do I have access to? If you just rely on an interview with a criminal, 
it's very likely that you will be deceived. So it's so important to have some background information, you know, whether it's other sentencing remarks or other records, or whether there's other information that you can just garner to see whether the things that you're being told are actually in line with the reality of the situation. And, you know, even in a prison environment where it isn't about doing court assessments, like I said before, you know, in a remand centre, I had a few prisoners who would tell me that they're suicidal because they knew a suicide is a high stress kind of discussion right? So you're going to be worried about them. But they also knew that for you to kind of try and call their bluff could potentially be a huge risk, right? And for them, the benefits were huge. They get to go into the health centre, which is much more comfy, smaller cells, you know, access to some additional privileges. So sometimes it takes a bit more time and effort in kind of looking at how these people behave, looking at their kind of nonverbal cues, and then the stuff that's coming out of their mouth. But I think if you're doing an interview with someone who, you know, is engaging in criminal conduct, you have to realize that they are going to be lying to you. It's completely unlikely that you're going to get a criminal who's going to sit in front of you and tell you the full truth. And why is that? Again, it's I think it's about just personal gain, right? So for these guys, they know that lying has a lot of benefits. So they don't just lie to staff in a prison, they lie to each other. You've got prisoners who might say they've engaged in higher level crime because they want to be seen as the alpha male and that gives them power. Some guys will lie about their offences, especially if they've engaged in some criminal behaviour that might be seen by society as being, you know, the bottom of the pond, kind of pond scum behaviour. So to protect themselves, they'll lie and say, oh no, I'm just in here for drug offences rather than something that might be a bit more sinister. But like I said, the benefits of lying in crime are huge, right? So you'd be almost stupid not to lie. It's a really interesting point, I guess. And have you ever felt like you've actually been deceived? Have you walked out of one of those assessments and went, they got me? A hundred percent. So when you work with psychopaths, right? And I think all of us have to acknowledge that we like to have our ego stroked, right? So sometimes you'll sit in an interview and it might be your first interview and this guy's like, oh, you're the best psychologist I've ever had. You're so smart. You're so intelligent. Oscar, you're so good looking. Kidding. Uh, not the good looking part. But, you know, you kind of go, oh, yeah, like this makes me feel great, right? Like who doesn't want to feel like they're doing a good job? And usually you walk out of that interview and you have a bit of a chuckle to yourself because you go, uh-huh, I see what just happened here, right? Like all of that ego stroking was because this person thought I had some influence in the prison to either move him or to get him to see his family more often or to get access to more phone calls, or they thought I'm going to write a really positive report. And I suppose the other thing I want to add is, you know, in the work that I've done, which was writing reports on how people went in treatment, they're going to lie to you, right? No one's going to be like, oh yeah, I still want to go out there and commit violent crime, or yes, I still want to go out there and use drugs or engage in fraudulent behavior they're going to tell you, yes, I'm cured, everything's fine. And this is, again, where that psych testing comes in because we can check whether what they're saying is actually in line with what we're expecting. And sometimes, you know, when we realise people are deceitful, we'll say that to the parole board and then these guys get pretty angry with you after when they realise that you kind of saw them for who they really are rather than believing all the things they tell you. And what's it like inside that room? You're having this conversation with criminals. Do you tell them you know that what they're saying is not true? It depends, right? So sometimes if I feel the interview's going nowhere, right, and I'm getting a little bit grumpy because I know that the person's just told me a complete lie, then I might say, oh, look, you know, I just want to let you know that 
some of the psych testing that you completed, like it has life scales, right? So it's going to tell me whether you're being truthful or not. And I'll play the devil's advocate and go, hey, like, what do you reckon your life scale came up as? Sometimes you see the penny drop, right? And these guys will be like, oh, okay, yes, I have actually committed more crimes than just the one. Or they'll go, oh, I didn't realize you had access to that information. And most times I'll go, okay, well, let's start again, right? I'll give you the opportunity to start again and tell me the story from the beginning. But even then, sometimes they'll still continue the lie. So a lot of the times, you know, for them, I think it is quite tricky because they know that if they get caught out in a lie with a psychologist, it's not going to look good for them in terms of the parole board, but also they don't want to necessarily tell you the full truth because it will also make them look bad for the parole board, right? So it's this catch-22. It's either I tell Oscar that everything's crappy and I'm still thinking about committing further crimes, or I tell him that I'm cured and he'll know that that's a lie as well. So it's often really interesting to watch that happen in a room. In psychology, we call it cognitive dissonance, this kind of bit of being like, oh, I'm acting in this way, but I realize it's not quite accurate. And you see it on their face. Oscar, are there some people that are just more prone to lie than others? Yes, definitely. So it's interesting. There was some research done by Dr. DePaolo, and what she talked about is that lies are like wishes, right? So when people lie to you, it's actually they're kind of telling you what their wish was true. So if I say, yes, I've done all my work for the day, what I'm actually saying is I wish I had done my work for the day. But there's this principle called Pareto principle, which is the law of the vital few. So what we know is that 20% of people account for 80% of behavior. So even though most of us will tell a few lies every day, the stats are about two lies per day for the general population. There is a small group of people that will tell a lot more. And so we know that in general, men lie more than women. You're more likely to lie if you're in a higher status job or occupation, usually business or tech. But in general, kind of lying tapers off into our adulthood. It spikes as teenagers. So you see a lot of teenagers lying to the parents, no, I'm not going out, no, I'm not drinking with my friends. And then it kind of peters off. But for people like the guys we've talked about in terms of psychopaths, narcissists, or people that have a lot to lose, they're more likely to lie and more likely just to see it as normal. The human element of crime is fascinating. But of course, deceit doesn't stop at the corporate door. On our next podcast, Oscar and I will discuss deception in the workplace, getting an understanding of why fraudsters engage in their crimes, and how we can identify these deceivers who walk amongst us. When we're looking at the research into psychopathy or or white-collar crime, oftentimes the only way these guys get caught is through whistleblowers. So listening to your staff is really, really important. These guys will know that you're someone in power, so the way they present themselves to you will be very different to how they present to people that are their subordinates, right? Because they know that they have to keep you happy so you don't feel like there's anything going on. If you'd like to know more about how KPMG works with organisations to prevent deception and restore trust, head over to our website, which you can find by searching KPMG Forensic. I'm Dean Mitchell, and this is KPMG's Forensic Lens, and I'll see you next time.